0: What's up, Law Nation? So glad you made it. We have a fantastic episode teed up for you today. Man, what if you could retire from your current job today, right now? What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you spend your time with? Even if you like your career or even love it, just imagine the possibility of true freedom. No more billables, no more patient or client consultations, just you doing what you want when you want to, and who you want to do it with. That sounds pretty good to me. Well, our man of the hour, Travis Watts, is a professional full-time passive investor. He's also the director of investor relations at Ashcroft Capital, spreading a good word about passive income and how it can change your life. He dedicates his time to educating others who are looking to be more hands-off in real estate. All right, here we go.
1: This is the Passive Passive Income Attorney Attorney Podcast. Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley.
0: Hey, Travis, what's going on, man? Seth,
2: thanks so much for having me. Thrilled to be here
0: yeah absolutely man thanks for being on thanks for being on man so happy to have you on um let's let's just jump right in uh, tell us about your previous career and how you got started in real estate investing
2: oh boy yeah so <laughs> so I used to uh, I used to work a w2 job that required uh, 14 hour uh, work days ninety eight hour work weeks it was in the oil industry so um you know didn't have a lot of spare time but I really had an ambition to get started in real estate, so I got started in 2009 with single-family homes. Uh, if you had asked me back then, you know, what does a real estate investor look like? How do you get started? Any of these types of questions—that's all that would have come to my mind as a single-family home in my own neighborhood, right? I didn't know what multifamily sure. was. I didn't know what syndication meant. None of that. So, so uh, the story goes, as many stories go, uh, with with people getting started this way. Um, I immersed myself. I jumped right in. I did fix and flips. I did vacation rentals. I did house hacking. I did everything that was hands-on and active and used up my time. That's what I did. And so about five years into that, you can imagine with, with the workload I had, in addition to real estate, I burned myself out. That's what happened, long story short. So 2015 rolls around. I knew I had to make a change. I knew I had to find a way to be more passive. And on my own, I wasn't figuring that out. I was trying the property management stuff and I wasn't reading a whole lot. I wasn't really getting mentors or coaches. I was just trying to rack my head against the wall and come up with answers and they weren't very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 2015 was like that year that I said, look, I've, I, you know, people do this. People are passive to an extent with real estate. You know, you, t- you take people like a, like a Robert Kiyosaki, you know, or, or a, or a Donald Trump or a Steve Wayne, like, they're not out there flipping properties. They're not out there wholesaling. They're out there in a passive manner investing in real estate. I wanted to figure out how do you how do you do that? And I think my limiting belief for so many years was that you had to be like a billionaire. To get involved with stuff like that, you know, I mean, to own an apartment building, I didn't even consider that in, in the deck of cards. But come to learn later that you know you can partner with others to do bigger deals. You can actually be uh, mostly passive. It's it's never a hundred percent passive. Instead of trying to uh, you know be everything and do everything myself. So that's kind of my backstory: is is working in a job that I didn't like, working in an industry that didn't fit me and wanting something different, if nothing else to work less hours and do something that would make me smile. And that was not what I was doing. So that that's kind of my, my backstory.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome, man. So, so tell us about kind of that transition from, um, you know, getting started with real estate and, and doing flips and, and just single family stuff, and then discovering um, what we call real estate syndications here.
2: Yeah, exactly. So 2015, I dedicated to be more or less an educational year. Um, I didn't really know how that was gonna pan out. I just said, look, I have to make a change. I have to do something different. I have to learn this stuff. So um, I ended up working uh, in the Middle East. And the reason I chose to do that primarily was because of the schedule. It allowed, it was like a 50-50 schedule. So I would be 35 days in the States with nothing to do, 35 days overseas working. And uh, so when I was home, I dedicated that time to reading books and listening to podcasts and, you know, real estate mentors and and coaching, all this kind of stuff to expand my context, you know, to, to, like I said, try to learn how to be more hands off, so to speak. And we got to remember, too, this was 2015. You know, these private placements and syndications have been around for decades and decades and decades. but. The marketing wasn't really there, so to speak, at least not what I could see. You know We have like a million more conferences and, and podcasts and things today yeah. in 2020 than we did in 2015. So it was it was a struggle. And so I read a ton of books that year. I, I really immersed myself. I, I did uh, I read 52 books. So my, my goal was one book per week. Most of those were business and real estate related. And uh, in addition to podcasts and everything else. And so, on the other side of that coin came, um, you know, I did a lot of back testing, a lot of self study on multifamily once I learned about what a syndication was. I don't even know, honestly, how I figured out uh, or first heard of a syndication. But regardless, I started, you know, diving deeper into that. I looked at what happened in 2008, nine, and 10 with multifamily. I did a lot of this uh, philosophy of, If I'm going to be in something long term for decades, potentially as an investor, I want it to be here in decades. Right. I don't want to be investing in Bitcoin today and then losing it all next year and then having to start over. What's next? What do I invest in now? You know, and um, so that's kind of how it came to be is uh, what I realized is in some cases I could make similar, the same or in some actual cases more of a total return, being a passive investor than I was actually being hands on and active. And quite frankly, why that is is I wasn't very good at it <laughs> on the active <laughs> side. You know, yeah, I could fix and flip a house and I could do this and that, but I wasn't that good uh, as an operator, as an asset manager. I didn't have a lot of connections between contractors and uh, everything else, uh, brokers and realtors. So. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot of folks in this camp, right? Uh, whether you hate your job, you love your job. A lot of people just don't have the time commitment. A lot of people just say, Hey, uh, you know, you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> so that was kind of the path I took.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the beauty in it is that, you know, if you're not necessarily a good operator, maybe you tried it and you're not good at it, or you don't think you're going to be good at it, or you don't think you have time for it. Investing passively allows you to, to vet the sponsors and people have done it many times before and, and, and. You know, ride that winning horse.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It all comes down to I just recently wrote a blog uh, called What Type of Investor Are You? A Quick Guide to Self Awareness. And it goes into like the traits and the characteristics of active investors and passive investors. It goes into just some psychology and just understanding yourself and having that level of self awareness. For me, I, you know, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't necessarily want to do it. Why was I doing it for? a return on investment. You know, it was like, it was a money play. And unfortunately that, that was for me anyway, that was the wrong approach. You know, that shouldn't have been what my focus was all about.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So, so what advice maybe would you give someone in our listeners shoes who is an attorney or a doctor or another, or another professional, um, who might not necessarily hate their job, but they know they want to diversify out of their 401k and perhaps into real estate or some other sort of passive investment, um, or active investment? I mean, what, what would you say for some advice? Yeah,
2: I would say, let, let's look at it like this. So two questions to ask yourself up front, okay? One is, if I'm going to go out there and do an active deal, whatever that means, wholesaling, fix and flips, vacation rentals, even buy and hold single family, okay? Uh, first of all, do I enjoy that it does that match my strengths and my weaknesses, right? Do I think I can be a a key competitive player in that space? Do I have the ability and connections to pull that type of business plan off? Like be be real with yourself, first of all. And then ask yourself, you know, what would my likely return be if I were to do that? You know, what would my annualized return be? Let's just call it just for simple sake, okay? And uh, how much more could I potentially get? Nobody knows the actual answer to that. Then perhaps doing a passive uh, investment opportunity, which we'll get into. Okay. So that's kind of all, (laughs) it's a big number one, but that's number one. (laughs) And then number two would be, uh, you know, how much time will this likely require? And see, this is where I failed uh, as just a naive investor. You know, you, you go in, as an optimist or at least i did thinking oh you know this fix and flip is going to get done in a couple months and it's only going to cost this much and it's only going to take that much time well way wrong it always takes twice as much money twice as long like mm-hmm. it's it's a disaster in a lot of cases not everybody's but in my case it was always like a disaster situation Especially the first few <laughs> yeah exactly as you're as you're kind of learning so this is kind of the self awareness and get real with yourself so let's take let's let's put this into practicality let's say I have $100,000 today to go invest, okay? Here's my two options, generally speaking. I can go buy a single family home, buy and hold, rent it out to someone. Maybe it needs some light rehab to it, whatever. Or I can go do a passive syndication. I could be a limited partner in like a large apartment complex, okay? Both take some front loading, right? We need to find the deal. We need to vet the deal. We need to crunch some numbers, right? We have to have a little bit of education to back us up to at least get started. After that, the, the LP syndication route is pretty much hands-off and passive at that point. I really wouldn't be doing anything with that deal uh, after I made the investment. On the other side, with the single family, you still are... Basically, an asset manager, right? Still having to make decisions, you know, call property managers, deal with people moving in, moving out, changing leases, working with CPAs, attorneys, saving your receipts, uh, you know, checking up on the property. There's just a lot, you know. There's just, you know, this. There's a lot to it. So here's the question then: How much more would I potentially make on that single-family home buy-and-hold versus doing that passive deal? Let's put this scenario in favor of doing the active side, right? Let's say that that single family home, I'm gonna make a 15% annualized return, just to use a simple number, okay? And that syndication is gonna give me 10, 10% annualized return, okay? Um, and I'll, I'll caveat that at the end as to why that sometimes may be true and maybe not. Uh, but what that means is I would make a 5% additional yield by managing my own project to doing everything myself, even if I had a property management company. Well, on a $100,000 investment, what that means is I would make $5,000 extra at the end of the year by doing that work, potentially, right? These are all just projections. So how do you figure out if that's a good option? Well, first of all, uh, let's say it takes me 100 hours throughout the year in total to execute that business plan and that deal and that management, and then I end up selling it or something. Well, that would be uh, $5,000. Divided by 100 hours. So that's $50 per hour. So the real question is, what do you value your time at? You know, is your time worth 50 an hour? Well, let's say that you're an attorney or you're a doctor and, you know, you bill out at, you know, 300 bucks an hour. Well, is 50 worth your time? Uh, Maybe for some, maybe not. Maybe if it's a little side hustle, I don't know. Uh, But a lot of people would probably say no in those positions because they're making more at something else. And that's more or less a distraction from their primary focus. Now, Back up to me as like, you know, a punk kid in my early 20s, you know, I made, let's say 30 bucks an hour at my job. So is 50 an hour worth it? Yeah, I think so. I think that was worth it. And that's why I did active real estate for so long. But then I started valuing my time a whole lot more later on. And I decided that, hey, even in that situation, I'd rather be the passive investor and have that flexibility and freedom to do other things with my time that I enjoy more because it's not always about money and dollars and cents, right? So yeah. that's kind of how I look at it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, most of our listeners are going to be, you know, making more than $50 an hour and they can use their time to, to make more money than they'd make on that extra 5% that they might make actively uh, actively doing a deal. And not to mention all the, you know, just the time constraints and just the learning curve and everything else and the, and the headaches that go along with dealing with contractors and property managers and tenants and all that kind of stuff, man. Exactly, and, and I told you, I'd point out a
2: caveat at the end of this whole scenario. So in truth, the way it actually panned out in many situations is, you know, I, I had done fix and flips that only netted me like a 10% return and took a whole lot more than a hundred hours of my time. Equally so, I did some passive deals that resulted in a 30 plus percent return where I really only had to do the vetting up front and make the choice to invest. So not uh, obviously not saying, you know, that's how it goes all the time. That's not a guarantee or anything, but certain deals in my portfolio have panned out that way. So I know that exercise is a little difficult. Like how much time is it going to take me annually to manage a property? Well, obviously, it depends. You put a bad tenant in there. You might be 300 plus hours a year, you know, and then you get the perfect tenant, maybe only, you know, 50 hours. I don't know. So uh, it's a hard exercise, but it, it makes you think a little bit about your time value. And to me, that's my message to the world is, you know, what is your time worth and what could you do with your time that brings the most fulfillment and happiness to you? That's why I'm such an advocate for the passive side of this stuff.
0: Yeah. And we're really trying to create more time not to work more, but instead to spend it with our friends and family and you know, traveling or hobbies or whatever it is we might want to do.
2: Exactly. Everybody has their own why, you know, that, that, that question. I'm sure we've all been asked from one time or another, you know, if you, if you won the lottery, what would you do? Or if, you, if money was never a factor, what would you do? Everybody's different, charity and travel and friends and family and, and all this kind of stuff. But here's the facts. The fact is, (laughs) realistically speaking, in the United States in 2020, like we have to get to a point in our lives at some point where where we're passive, right? Like, say our 60s or 70s or 80s. Like, there's gonna come a time you either a don't want to work anymore, or two you can't. So. For a lot of folks in previous generations, that might come from a pension and social security and all these things. But what about millennials and everyone beneath? You know, we're kind of on our own to create our own system here. That's my opinion. I don't, rely on social security being there. I certainly don't have a pension and most of my working career has been, you know, self-employment income anyway. So I'm kind of hosed on relying on the government. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, we got to kind of take matters into our own hands at some point. I chose to focus on that a little earlier uh, versus later.
0: Nice, nice. Um, So let's maybe take a step back and just get back to basics for our listeners who don't even know what a real estate syndication is. How, yeah. how would you come to define that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I know I throw all <laughs> kinds of jargon out there. I just yeah. jump right in. Um, all right, cool. So here's the deal. You could have a 400 unit apartment complex in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Uh, one of two buyers usually with something that size. You've got an institutional buyer. So like a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust or an insurance company or a pension fund, You know, some, somebody like that, Wall Street, basically buying that asset. Or you can do a syndication or a private placement, which means you've got a general partnership group so a couple people or more coming together to find that asset and put some legal docs together and in an investment package and whatnot. And then they're going to raise capital. They're going to attract a bunch of limited partners, which is what I do to put in, let's say $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars. And then you get, you know, 50 people or hundred people to do the same thing. And now you have enough money to put a down payment and, and a renovation budget and to close that deal privately. So that what I I become then, uh, limited partner, of course, is the the legal jargon there, but I become basically like a 1% owner, let's call it, in a 400 unit apartment complex. So I get to share in the cash flow and the potential equity upside and whatever the business plan is, you know, I get to share in those profits without having to fork up $20 million on my own, or buy into like a REIT or a mutual fund that's publicly traded on the stock market. Well, that's very hard to understand the ins and outs of that and what the valuation is and whether you're overpaying or underpaying, it can be complicated. This is very simple and straightforward. And so that, that's kind of what it is um, in a nutshell, general partnership, limited partners coming together to buy a private asset, usually something that's a hundred units or greater as far as multifamily is concerned. But private placements could be anything, you know, I mean, we could, you know, you can invest in private businesses or self storage and mobile home parks. There's a lot of different uh, ways to invest this way. But uh, what I do mostly is multifamily.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the beauty about that is just, you know, as a limited partner, you know, because you're a limited partner, you have limited liability. You can get into these big deals um, without operating them and without having to come out of pocket millions of dollars.
2: Yep, 100%, 100%. And to your point earlier, I know I didn't really get into this, but that comment I made about, had you asked me in 2009 about being an apartment investor and what that looks like, I probably would have said either a billionaire or someone with like 30, 40, 50 years experience in real estate that just somehow knows how to do that. Uh, The the irony is, as I've immersed myself into this world, and now I work in an investor relations capacity, and I get to speak with investors nationwide, what I find are attorneys you know lawyers doctors dentists you know pro athletes business owners these are commonly the limited partners who invest in these types of offerings you know it's it's to the point earlier of Hey, listen, I like my career. I like my job. I don't want to take my eye off that ball. I don't want to go be a weekend warrior trying to wholesale and flip houses and then go back to the office on Monday. Um, rightfully so. But this is just a diversification piece, if nothing else, to an entire investment portfolio. You know, maybe you've maxed out a 401k or IRA and you know, put some money in, in a brokerage in the stock market. Now you're saying, hey, what else is there besides just stocks, bonds, and mutual funds? Well, there's real estate. And if you don't want to do all the work yourself, you can partner with others that can uh, take on that workload for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, what does what maybe one of your typical investors at Ashcroft look like?
2: A, a, a lot of that demographic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of attorneys, engineers are a huge sector, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, a lot of folks that are out in uh, California, New York, you know, where maybe just buying that single family home in the traditional way. Financially, doesn't make sense for them you know, to go put $2 million into a single family home in the Bay Area. You may not get a, a ton of great cash flow off of that, for example. So this can be a great option to invest in other markets, kind of diversify and, and own some you know, whatever, Texas and Florida while living in, in one of those states. Um, but mostly it's uh, accredited investors, high net worth, high income individuals looking to either diversify their portfolio, Or some of them go pretty heavy in this stuff, but because they love real estate, they just don't have the time to dedicate to it themselves. And they probably would, quite frankly, if they were retired or or didn't have their career in front of them. But um, rightfully so. Like I said, it's a nice uh, diversification piece, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, How would you go about finding one of these deals? Good question. And again, it's evolved since,
2: since 2015, at least in my world. So it seemed like they didn't exist back then. And it was super like this. Always hush, hush. Yeah. Hush (laughs) is like a secret (laughs) club. I was trying to find access to it. Um, (laughs) But today, so there's, there's two types of offerings. Primarily there's, there's your 506B as in boy and 506C as in Charlie. So where that Matters is that 506Cs can be generally advertised and solicited. So you might come across those on Google, or you might see an ad somewhere if you're on bigger pockets or something, something might pop up, right? But the, the, the issue with that, I call it an issue, not really an issue, the, the caveat with that is they can only take on accredited investors, okay? So high net worth, high income uh, individuals that are third party verified to be accredited. Um, that's why they can generally advertise. The 506Bs, can they can advertise their company, like what it is they do, but they generally still don't even do that really. So it's a lot harder to find, it's a lot more word of mouth. How I found them was through conferences, So if we back up before COVID struck, I was going around the the United States to as many multifamily and or real estate conferences that I could possibly attend just for networking purposes and to meet people and to learn. And so, uh, you know, you can get on online forums, you can Google search it, you can do conferences digital or in person, uh, or, you know, like I said, you'll probably see an ad here and there that's that's 506C. So uh, they're out there and more so than ever before. But uh, the other way, too, is finding someone like myself or anyone else who's in the space, you know, heavily and actively to reach out to and just say, hey, you know, (laughs) send me a list of 20 groups that are out there. I'm happy to do that. You know, there's um, I know that can be tricky and and time consuming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. So. You know, once you find someone that does this, how do you, how do you vet the sponsor and even the market that it's in? And you don't need to go too deep into this because this, you could take a whole episode just answering that, but just maybe just some uh, general pointers on, you know, once you, once you meet someone and you see that they're, you know, they've got some deal flow, you know, how do you vet that sponsor and, and, and even the market as well?
2: Yeah, great question. And I do have a a PDF. We can put that in the show notes. It's 20 pages about how to bet a sponsor and a market and a deal and questions to ask and, you know, common industry terminology, all that good stuff. But I'll, I'll highlight that right now. So there's three aspects to investing, right? There's the team that's actually executing the business plan. There's the market that it's located in and there's the deal itself, right? Three components. So when I got started, I had that all backwards in priority and I would look at the deal and I would try to like crunch numbers and disagree with the general partners and say, I think it's this, not that, like it was stupid. And so that led me to not do a lot of deals. And, you know, who was the expert, right? Not me. And so that was a problem because I ended up partnering with some uh, GPs that didn't have any experience. They didn't know what they were doing. They couldn't execute the business plan. Uh, it didn't end up in a loss, thankfully, because we did buy a good asset in a good market. So the other two kind of saved us. But it's important, uh, my point, it's important to vet out the team and the operator, in my opinion, as number one, track record experience, uh, likelihood that they can execute the business plan. Let's just simply put it at that you know, how big of a business plan is this? How big of a renovation is this? Have they done it before? If not, you know, how likely is it that that they can pull it off? So that's number one. Number two is is to me anyway, it's the market. So I look from a macro level, just a high level of migration trends and where people are leaving, which states they're leaving, which states they're moving to. You can look up like U-Haul statistics for free, see where people are renting and dropping off. Um, look at uh, you know, uh, political stuff, <laughs> look at uh, landlord uh, tenant laws, uh, tax friendly states, warmer climates, think about baby boomers. There's, there's a lot to it, but again, you don't have to be an expert in all that. That's just something I enjoy researching myself. So I'm kind of doing this, this macro level research to decide which states I like and which particular markets. Uh, I usually don't go as specific as sub markets, but just generally like, let's call it like Dallas, right? Well, Dallas is basically Fort Worth these days. And then amongst that, you know, they're Richardson and, and Irving and, you know, Holtam right. City. So there's a lot of these sub I can't be an expert in all that. So what I do is I say, okay, I like Texas in general. I like Dallas in general, but tell me why. You know, Haltom City or whatever. <laughs> you know, why that specific property in that specific submarket, that specific three-mile radius? What are the median incomes? What are the school ratings? What are the job and employment centers? How far away are they? All that good stuff, right? And so, I uh, to answer your question, it, it goes like this. I. I define my criteria number one so i decide i like value add b and c class multifamily, five-year holds monthly distributions whatever right i'm just naming off some criteria pieces i find operators doing that i get to know those operators i ask those operators a lot of questions right i get to look at their past performance and their current deals all right i skim all that now i know that i'm aligned or i'm not with the operator so those are the deals getting sent to me on a weekly basis or a monthly basis then i'm you know, if it's gonna be a you know a, a San Francisco deal, well, I, I'm not gonna do that because it doesn't match my criteria. So now we're getting into the market. There's reasons I don't personally want to invest there in multifamily uh, or a New York City or something like that. So then it's either, that's like a big checkbox there. And then as we get into the, the deal specifically, um, you know, I'm looking at break even occupancy and entry and exit cap rates and all this kind of jargon that's in the PDF. I won't go into a lot of detail yeah. <laughs> there. And so I'm just trying to check as many boxes as I can. Let's put it simply, right? That's what I'm doing. And if 80% are checked, I'm likely gonna do a deal like that. I'm never gonna get 100% of everything perfect, you know, on my criteria. But if it's 50%, I'm passing, you know? And, and so that that's the name of the game. Takes a little bit of legwork to get there, to know criteria, know yourself, no sponsors, no deals. But once you get there, it's it's fairly simple to me, you know, years, year, years later. But find a mentor, coaching program, book, something, you know, uh, to get yourself there a little quicker.
0: Yeah, the information's out there. I mean, once you've looked at one offering memorandum, you've probably seen the next one. I mean, they're all they all are very yeah. similar in presentation and that's yep. you know you just need to get you know your market criteria and your sponsor criteria and your deal criteria down and when one fits the bill, go for it. Yep, yeah,
2: basically that's that's my thing with it. Yep. It's time for the
0: Freedom 4. Awesome, man. Well, let's jump into the Freedom Four questions. In an alternative universe where you were not involved in real estate, what would you be doing? Oh God. This is uh, a tough one for most people.
2: <laughs> I'd be traveling. My wife and I, we love to travel, you know, again before COVID and, and all this chaos. We were just internationally traveling. That's that's really one of our passions and um, that's what I'd be doing any, any way I could, I did it in the oil field, but it just wasn't, uh, a fantastic, uh, destinations, uh, it's not visit, quite the but, same.
0: Uh... <laughs> um, I'm big on health and fitness, man. So what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy?
2: I wrote a blog recently on, uh, celery juice, which was kind of like a, a little trendy thing, but, yeah. uh, you know, juicing, uh, celery you know, and just having like 16 ounces on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, stuff like that, uh, is, is very powerful in a multitude of ways. Um, other than that, you know, I'm not the best at sticking to a workout routine. Uh, I still am, am kind of a work in progress there. <laughs> so, But, you know, my wife and I, we, we experiment with all kinds of things, you know, cryotherapy and red light stuff and just like whatever, you know, different workout routines and orange theory and all this. So, uh, you know, find what works for you and, and try to make it sustainable is, is kind of the, the trick there, the key.
0: Right. Yep. Absolutely, man. Um, Where were you at five years ago in your business and where do you see yourself five years from now?
2: Yeah, five years ago, I was just starting this passive journey, transitioning from active to passive, selling off all my single family real estate, going one at a time into these syndications. Um, It was a a nerve wracking time, (laughs) but at the same time, a very exciting time. And I think it's just... Well, it is, it, it is. And as much, you know, book homework you you do, there's still just the reality of it, you know, and it's big decisions to, to do that, that kind of thing to make a big jump that way. And I was switching careers in the process. It was a big thing. So um, yeah, so in five years, uh, so there's some folks in my network that are like me, they're, they're full-time LPs, but they're like in their 60s or 70s, or perhaps even 80s at this point. And they've done hundreds of LP deals. And to me, that's very inspiring. That that paints the picture that this is a real thing. People really do this. Very educated people, very wealthy people. And I wanna be on that track. I wanna stay on that track. And so I'm asked all the time when I'm gonna do my GP deal. I, I, hopefully I'm not going to, that's my answer to that. <laughs> Nothing yeah. wrong with that. It just, it isn't right for me um, you know, to do a GP thing. So still LPing with, I don't know, twice as many deals. Let's, let's say that.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, so final question, how has passive income made your life better? So here's my message to everybody listening. So like I said, we have to
2: get to a point eventually where we're passive in some capacity. Why not focus on building diversified passive income streams sooner than later to, if nothing else, give you a little flexibility and freedom and options in your life whether you want to move from full-time work to part-time whether you want to pivot careers but right now that's a little scary cuz maybe you might lose your house or you couldn't make you know your payments this passive income can at least provide a backstop right just a supplemental income source and i think it's important to start learning this stuff Uh, sooner than later additionally, right, to understand private placements and investing and cash flow and passive income before you're 70 years old. Uh, I have these conversations with people in their 70s. And it's just a lot harder to open your mind at that age and to take those kinds of risks. So the more you can learn and master earlier on, I think the better off uh, you'll be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, attorneys are pretty conservative by nature anyway. So they, you know, it's a pretty big hump to get over for them to, to kind of understand these deals and then wire $50,000 or $100,000 to someone and let them take it over. So it's a, you know, it, it's a big step. But man, if you can figure this thing out, like you have, it's, it's, it's an awesome pathway to wealth.
2: Reach out to people doing it, you know, great point by the way, but, but seriously, what helped me the most is finding a mentor. It was an unpaid mentor, but I'm not promoting like coaching programs and things. They're great for some, but I'm talking about a person who had done a hundred LP deals that I could actually speak to like a real human being, whether through zoom or in person where they could say, look, I've been at this for 25 years this is kind of my portfolio, this is kind of what what it's done, how it's performed, the lessons learned. Like that's what paints the confidence and the picture and the case, you know? Like I said, you can read a book all day and it sounds great, but then you close that book and it's, what about my situation? What about COVID-19? What about, you know? So find a mentor who can help walk you through (laughs) the practical and realistic and modern uh, things happening in, in this world.
0: For sure, man. All right. Well, I think we're running out of time, but uh, you've provided so much value today. I really appreciate having you on. Where can our listeners find out more about you?
2: Sure. So I do free 15 minute Q&A calls. Anything we spoke about, you want to learn more about, see how that pertains, uh, anything we talked about to your specific situation and that downloadable guide. They're all at the same place. So it's www.ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis. Uh, It's just a simple calendar link. You pick a time that works for you. We connect. We can do a a Zoom call like this or a phone call and uh, check out that guide. There's no upsell to any of this. I'm just happy to be a resource for anybody and help uh, paint this picture in terms of how it pertains
0: to you, the
2: listener. Thanks a lot. That's great, man.
0: Yeah, man. We'll throw all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks for being on, Travis. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Wow. Travis is the man with the ultimate plan. This guy is the living blueprint on how to invest passively in alternative assets to become truly and completely financially free. And Travis couldn't be any more humble and giving with his time. Just an amazing human being. That was incredible. All right. If this doesn't get you motivated to learn more about passive investing, I'm not sure what will. To get started, go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com right now and get our free passive investing guide.